This is Unmind with Great Cloud Michael Elliston Roshi. These next two segments, number 132 and 133 in the sequence, repeat a subject that we took up in number 113 and 114, namely the Buddha nature versus human nature, some of the samenesses and differences between what we refer to as human nature and what in Zen we refer to as our original nature or Buddha nature. Buddha meaning awakened one. Please bear with the repetition. There is new material here as well, and much of what is to be said about the place of Zen in America bears repetition. Human nature versus Buddha nature, number two. Buddha versus human. Which of these comes first? Which is more primordial? Both are just labels. As promised in the last segment of Unmind, we will continue examining the social or corporate expressions of human nature versus what we call Buddha nature with an eye to those corporate entities growing out of Zen practice, such as the Atlanta Soto Zen Center and the Silent Thunder Order, as examples. Master Dogen mentions the constructions of humankind, indicating that they too are part and parcel of the nature and manifestation of Buddha Dharma. Quote, Grass, trees, and lands which are embraced by this teaching together radiate a great light and endlessly expound the inconceivable profound dharma. Grass, trees, and walls bring forth this teaching for all beings, common people as well as sages, and they in accord extend this dharma for the sake of grass, trees, and walls. In India, the original order of monks and nuns apparently camped out in the woods, and when the monsoons came, retired to caves in the mountains. Eventually, patrons built dwellings for them, the first walls to house the followers of Buddha's teachings. Somewhere I came across a saying, something to the effect that, when a precious jewel appears in the world, not to worry, a container will appear to protect it. The precious jewel is the Buddha Dharma, and the container consists of the various temples, practice centers, and monasteries that have been established to protect and preserve it. The Dharma opening verse that we typically chant at the beginning of a discourse says, The unsurpassed, profound, and wondrous Dharma is rarely met with even in a hundred thousand million kalpas. Now we can see and hear it, accept and maintain it. May we unfold the meaning of the Tathagata's truth. 
assuming we can, quote, see and hear the Dharma, it becomes our charge to, quote, accept and maintain it. In the context of modern society, this means not only providing the physical plant, the walls within which followers are invited to practice, but also providing the corporate structure that will enable others to maintain the program of promulgating Dharma teachings and propagating the direct practice of meditation through their financial and in-kind donations. For this reason and other related incentives, it becomes necessary to establish a 501c3 not-for-profit corporation in order to maintain Zen practice interfacing with other governmental corporate entities. But some caveats are in order when doing so in the furtherance of Zen, in light of its skepticism regarding the constructed self. Where Zen calls into question the reification of even the human entity or being and its extension to the concept of a self, the soul of theism or Atman of Hinduism, the reification of a corporate entity is seen as equally or even more suspect. ASCC was incorporated in 1977 to facilitate the mission of meeting the public demand for what we refer to as genuine Zen practice, in particular its uniquely simple and direct meditation. What we refer to as Soto Zen or Dogen Zen is different from all the other alternatives on offer. Just as what Buddhism teaches as its worldview is starkly different from the various religions and ideologies dominant in our culture. STO was incorporated in 2011 because the stress and strain on the board of directors and committees of the ASCC had become too much to handle with the growth of our network of affiliates, which were meeting the increasing demand for Zen practice and the growing awareness of ASCC and STO as meeting that demand in a uniquely user-friendly manner, stressing the practicality and best practices of householder Zen. But we should not be confused as to the reality or unreality of the corporate entities we have, quote, established. They are no more real than any other corporate entity, though we may feel that their existence as such is much more necessary and based on real human need. The human beings, or Sangha, populating the corporate shell are real and existent dharmas in its connotation of dharma beings. The corporation is real enough in that it can interact with other corporate entities, but is essentially a real but non-existent dharma being, a construct. In spite of the Citizens United ruling of the Supreme Court, corporations are demonstrably not 
persons and should not have their rights accorded to human beings, in my humble opinion. All beings are capable of doing harm. Corporate entities may survive their human components and thus become capable of extending the harm or good they do to future generations. Real persons, fortunately or unfortunately, your call, pass away eventually. But the harm they do often lives after them. Thank you, Mark Antony. Sometimes through the corporations they formed during their lifetime. There is a rather useful trope to apply to your personal relationship to the corporate entity that represents the community of fellow practitioners of Zen. These are some issues that have come up from time to time, phrased in the format of if then. If you find yourself obsessing over the well-being of the ASCC or STO or your local affiliate center, including the management and succession of their leadership, then you may be getting distracted from your own personal practice, which may be much more difficult to deal with and less gratifying than engaging the social fray. If you feel underappreciated for your efforts on behalf of the organization, then a couple of reminders. One, welcome to the club. Two, remember that we support the organizations because they support the practice of Zen. And in Zen, there is no self and no other than self, close quote. Our actions are neither entirely selfish nor entirely unselfish when it comes to Zen. Or you could argue that they are both selfish and unselfish. If you are engaging in certain activities and feel that you are making sacrifices for the sake of someone else in the Sangha, including myself, then please stop. A sense of emotional indebtedness will only grow and can never be recompensed adequately. As Master Dogen reminds us, we should not imagine that we are practicing Zen solely for our own sake, let alone for the sake of others. We should practice Zen for the sake of Buddhism itself. The 13th century master cautioned his followers not to call it Zen, that Zen is a made-up term. It is only Buddhism, he said. But even his nomenclature reifies Buddhism as if there is actually is such a thing that needs our protection. Buddhism, like Zen, is also a made-up term. Shakyamuni was not a Buddhist any more than Jesus Christ was a Christian. Buddha comes from a root word that means awake. Buddha means the fully awakened one. 
what he taught and what his followers practiced in a culture replete with Hinduism, where one imagines they encountered considerable resistance, came to be called Buddhism. As such, it is also subject to its own teachings of, quote, impermanence, insubstantiality, and imperfection. If you find yourself sharing your personal doubts and frustrations with your fellow travelers as to how the Sangha is functioning, including its leadership, then you may be fomenting confusion and resultant disharmony in the Sangha, a big no-no in Zen. As the story goes, one of Siddhartha Gautama's cohort of cousins named Devadatta was jealous of Shakyamuni's revered status, including the lavish support he received from patrons, and repeatedly attempted to have Buddha assassinated. Yet Buddha predicted that Devadatta would eventually realize Buddhahood if such transgressions against the cohesion of the corporate order of monks and nuns in those times could be regarded by Buddha as a kind of trial and error, coming-of-age saga, if over several lifetimes, we may be forgiven for the more minor errors in judgment that we may reasonably be expected to make in our efforts at community practice and any resultant behaviors that may have unintended consequences. In any case, it does not pay to overthink these considerations, certainly not to make them the focus of our personal practice. A monk complained that when sitting in Zazen, the rain was dripping on him from leaks in the roof. The master told him to move down. Why spend a lot of time patching and repairing an old temple building when you should be about the business of your own awakening to Buddha's insight? It is even more likely today that we will become enamored of the corporate entity and all its trappings and lose sight of what brought us to Zen in the first place. The only thing that will accompany us when we go to our grave is our deeds. We have to leave the chimera of the corporation along with the walls of the building, no matter how grandiose, behind, as well as the paperwork, thankfully. This realization should be accompanied by an immense sense of relief. Unmind is a production of the Atlanta Soto Zen Center in Atlanta, Georgia, and the Silent Thunder Order. Find us on the web at ASZC.org. You can support these teachings by PayPal to donate at storder.org. Gashou.